Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Amplified Hearing Podcast for the Hearing Industry Influencers. Uh, our mission in the hearing for the hearing care profession is to take you from your journey, pre-licensure, post-licensure, all the way through running uh, and building your own practice. I'm Nathan Bush. I'm here with my co-host, Chuck. How are you doing, Chuck? I'm good, Nathan. It's good to be here again. We got a really good episode coming up today. A uh, couple of very experienced guests are going to talk to us about a hot topic in the industry. Um, and something we've gotten a lot of questions about from people looking to get into the industry or some people even debating getting out of the industry, right? And that's over-the-counter hearing aids. Yeah. Hmm. So basically, I, a question I got uh, kind of middle of last month, I guess, from somebody looking to get into the industry was... Uh, what our organization's plan was to deal with uh, President Biden's uh, executive order dealing with over-the-counter hearing aids, right? And it's a question that we've gotten a lot really going back to 2017, because in 2017, that's when under the Trump administration, Congress passed uh, a law basically directing the FDA to come up with uh, guidance uh, and classifications of over-the-counter hearing aids for people specifically with a mild to moderate loss. And uh, the law gave them three years until August of 2020 to come up with that guidance, and they never did it. So now President Biden's administration under executive order um, is going back and telling the FDA to follow up and do it. Yeah, you got to really do it. I mean, it's a law. To, right? We need to put it into practice now. So yeah, right. for sure. So joining us today are two very experienced hearing care professionals. Uh, from Chicago, we have Dr. Kim Cabot, an AUD with about 30 years of experience. And from St. Louis, we have Mr. Jonathan Bushman, a nationally board certified hearing instrument specialist with about 17 years of experience. Welcome both of you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for, Thank having, you for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. And we really appreciate the experience that the two of you bring. I know, Dr. Cabot, you've written a lot about uh, OTC and the changes that are coming. In fact, you've authored books. Um, we really appreciate your, your expertise on the matter um, because you're also an audiologist. So yeah. in, in your, from my understanding, there's four large hearing aid manufacturers, according to the Wall Street Journal, that control 84% of the market right now. Is over-the-counter hearing aids the only solution to this issue, or is there different solutions that could have been chosen in order to rectify that situation? I, you know what? I'm going to say, I'm going to back up from that a little bit. I think over-the-counter hearing aids really has a little bit to do with the lack of competition out there that, you know, 4% control 84%, but it's really about adoption hasn't changed. I mean, our adoption has been pretty much static and stable for the last 30 years. And we know that now the risk of non-treatment, increased risk of dementia, increased risk of falls, increased risk of depression, social isolation, we know that those risks are so great that we really need to find a way to how do we change the adoption aspect. And nothing we've really ever done so far has ever really moved that needle. And now that's what over-the-counter hearing aids and why I'm 
passionate about it is that I think it is an opportunity to move adoption that we can get people when on their hearing journey when they're younger and more mildly impaired rather than them when they're 70 years old and they've been on this journey for 10 years and they've not proceeded with products and they're more moderately impaired. I want them to start their journey on their own terms and in a, because I think accessibility is just as big as affordability on a and in an accessible and unaffordable manner. And I want to grow the market. And I think I see this as much as for consumers, I see this as an opportunity to get access, but for for hearing healthcare providers, I see it as an opportunity to finally grow the market and get people on this journey. And one thing I want to add, when prescription eyeglass, when reading glasses went over the counter, prescription eyeglass sales increased. So this is not going to just be fear monger. This is just not bad for for the hearing healthcare professional or audiologist. This is this is an opportunity to bring more people in on the journey. No, I think that's a great point, um, especially the the correlation with how it changed the eyeglass industry. Um, and that the adoption has been a big thing, right? Getting people the hearing care that they need to avoid those other side effects of untreated hearing loss. And a lot of times it's that cost of traditional hearing instruments that keeps people away. Having, they don't have a $3,000 problem. They have a $300 problem at, right. at this point in their journey. And it's not just about costs. I did a little like quasi independent analysis. It takes someone about eight hours to get a hearing aid. <laughs> I mean, between travel to the clinic, evaluation, coming back, getting hearing aids, follow-up care, we're asking them to take away eight hours in a Monday through Friday, eight to five world. Everybody doesn't want to do that. <laughs> that's why Costco has been popular. I mean, that's one of the reasons. Costco is not just popular over cost. It's popular over access. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a great point. And my, my next question, Jonathan, yeah. you've been in the hearing industry now, fitting hearing aids and practicing for over 17 years. Um, you've worked with teams to be able to help ensure that people have affordable hearing aids, that they have access when they need it, and that there's convenience in the way that, that the hearing practice is dispensed. However, according to the National Institute on Defense and Other Communication Disorders, quote, when OTC hearing aids are available, you'll be able to buy them directly in stores and online, which where today's hearing aids are not available. You'll fit them yourself and you may be able to control and adjust the devices in ways that users today's hearing aids cannot, unquote. So isn't it better and more convenient for patients than spending the money for traditional hearing aids and going to pick them up from maybe a convenience store or, or uh, you know, the pharmacy, a more convenient store, the pharmacy? I mean, is there a sense of convenience? Absolutely. But there's convenience in a lot of things today in, in, in our world. You know, one of the big things that we talk about and you talk about um, the, the issue with that, what I see is that means a lot of people are foregoing the audiometric testing. Okay. Audiometric testing is extremely important because not only is that going to show the shape 
of the person's loss, what type of loss they're going to have, that can also bring out some underlying medical issues to where a person might need to see a doctor for something that could be corrected. So what I mean is a person might interpret a a simple hearing loss is something that actually would need to be treated medically. So what happens is they self-diagnose, they go in by over-the-counter hearing aids, put them in their ears, they see that they might not work great for them or whatever it might be. So the issue is not only is this medical issue going untreated, but this could also be quite discouraging to that person that says, well, you know what, I'm not really seeing benefit from these over-the-counter instruments And so what can happen is that can allow them to forego any type of treatment down the road. That's a really good point. Now, Dr. there? I was actually going to ask, so how do we we prevent, say, say a patient with a a mild conductive hearing loss who's not going to get the benefit from those over-the-counter instruments? How do we avoid that? So let's talk about two things. Number one, right now, if we, why the FDA is no longer enforcing the medical clearance and medical waiver is that most people weren't referring people for medical clearance anyway. I mean, 98% of people were signing the waiver. So this whole, that we're going to miss these folks, people were being, people are being, I come from academic medicine, people are being missed now because everybody's waving. Second, Um, There is research that was actually presented, so the National Academies of Science and Engineering and Medicine convened about a three-year process on accessible, affordable hearing aids. And there's an NIH study that comes out of Northwestern and Mayo Clinic that there is a a 10-question screening tool called CEDRA that you can actually ask patients, ask individuals 10 questions, and it is 91% accurate. 91% sensitive to an otologic condition. So that means you could just literally have, I mean, Lively is using this now. You can literally just have test questions, screening questions that you can screen them in an OTC, DTC world, especially if we're talking about it being distributed from a pharmacist or distributed online, that, that can actually replace some of the this in-person requirement to a hearing health professional because the world is kind of technology is kind of evolved and assessments kind of evolved and i am not a i'm not a big like i don't think an audio airbone speech recognition and word rack is is the end-all be-all of evaluating a patient those are six almost 60 year old evaluation tools speech and noise is important uh, assessing cognition or or baseline cognition or looking at that ear brain aspect with processing, you know, all of those things, real ear, even unaided, all are important. Really surveying the patient, talking about lifestyle, that that audiogram is very, um, is not what everybody needs anymore. I mean, it's just not what they need. It doesn't tell enough of a story of their communication difficulties for me me to hang my whole hat on it. And really, these self-assessment tools that a lot of these entities, they're completely scientifically based. Herex's assessment around that they use for Lexi, that's completely research and evidence-based, and they can show you all the validity test results of why that works. And it can be self-assessed. So, 
I think there are solutions that make this care, again, more accessible to people. Well, and in, in, in a rebuttal to that, you know, then you're also relying on that patient to answer these questions accurately. You know, in the field, I've seen plenty of questions in the pre-screening that are not answered properly. Um, and yes, I understand what you're saying with how the audiometric testing is around 60 years old, but there is still a ton of validity behind it. Um, you know, not saying that we're going to diagnose every type of medical condition, but you know, we have definitely saved lives. I had a patient two years ago that had a huge air bone gap. Turns out she had a brain tumor. Had she not had this, the audiometric testing, that would have not come up because she even admitted she was not going to go to the doctor for it until we highly encouraged her. And she has been grateful and she is actually still a friend of our family to this day. But I'm going to tell you, I, I can't, again, I come from academic medicine. People bring up, you know, when in the OTC, um, in the OTC discussions when the bill was being looked at in Congress, I mean, people were saying crazy things about, you know, vestibular schwannomas and all of that. I mean, 33% of people who have an acoustic neuroma or vestibular schwannoma have normal hearing. So they're not ending up for the most part in people's offices anyway. And vestibular symptoms are the primary complaint. I mean, I'm going to say from, from my years of experience, and I've also spent a lot of time in the audit world of how people do things, that's a lot of what I do now, is that providers aren't perfect now. And things are missed now. And I want I, the risks, again, of non-treatment of people sitting on the sidelines is greater than the risk of missing. You're always, we're always going to miss a few people, but those risks of non-treatment are now so great. And this is for us an opportunity to grow this market because they're going to start with an OTC and they're going to move to other things. Dr. Cavett, I totally appreciate that position and I, I, I can foresee that happening and being part of the process. Um, however, the Consumer Healthcare uh, Products Association has encouraged the FDA to move as swiftly as possible on this, this particular issue. And I, I don't know that it, whether it means that the OTC law is actually favoring the profit of the deregulation or if it's favoring patient care. So what I'm, the question that I would have is, is patient care today less important than it has been in the past because of these new screening measures? I think that what's more important is they get amplification in their ears. That's what's more important. That's because the data now is becoming so, so prolific in what the risk of non-treatment look like that I, and in, 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 terms of what it does to the patient's overall healthcare outcomes, that, pa that actually patient care is becoming more important. It's just not the way we see it, that many of us see it. We see it as they're taking away something from us rather than trying to see it as they're giving us opportunities to reach a whole new group of people that we're never going to reach in the way we're doing things now. So Jonathan, do you think with uh, the introduction of OTC hearing aids, 
is that how is that going to change the market for traditional hearing instruments? I mean, to be honest, you know, it's it's and, and like what you said, you know, how how reading glasses helped actually with prescribed glasses. You know, I think that's a good thing, um, you know, and, and making people more aware, you know, and, and the benefit that we have seen in our particular field is a lot of people realize that they need that support, that they need that clinical help, that they need that assistance to guide through it. You know, this is why when we deliver a new pair of hearing aids, we don't just stick them in their ears and kick them out the door in five minutes. You know, we sit down and I know most of my team, we sit down with them for a good hour to ensure that they know how to simply use the instruments. Now, what I've seen is, you know, and not knocking the OTC product, but a lot of people become frustrated with not having that support, with not being able to work them properly or something as simple as cleaning or maintenance. And so what will happen is, yes, typically they will buy the over the counter product first. What ends up happening is they realize they're not getting what they want and they end up trading them in. Um, and so we will give, you know, a small value for the, the, the instruments that they have purchased. You know, basically what we do is we just simply end up donating them because, you know, we're not going to resell them or anything like that. Um, so, yes, they do open the patient's eyes to realizing that they need some help. It's just most of the folks feel that they also need that support along with the the hearing device itself. So, and that's been that's been one of my big concerns too. Is with my years in office dispensing, it's a. I try to imagine what it would be like for somebody just coming in and uh, I'd like some hearing aids. Okay, here you are. Take care. Uh, and that's kind of how I see. Uh, I mean, if you go to to pick up OTC hearing aids, that's exactly what it's going to be, right? Um, except you're the person checking you out. It's going to be less knowledgeable about what you're getting than you know even somebody sitting in a front office in a hearing clinic. So I think the the idea of so many hearing aid patients that have trouble even operating an app on their phone or even operating a phone in some cases. Um, that's what kind of worries me sometimes about but Chuck, these the aren't patients that these aren't patients that you're seeing now. You can't compare to the people that are in your offices now. The people in your offices now want the journey that you're giving them. That's why they're there. They know they can't do it. But there's a whole, there's 3 million plus people out in the world right now that don't want the journey that we're giving them. And they, they are tech, they're younger and they're more technically savvy. And so they want to start something that they've ordered at 10 o'clock at night and they want to show up at their house and they want to play with on their phone and they want to start their journey this way. And eventually they're going to come and see all of you. They're, they're just, they're going to get to you. These are, this is what I always stress with people. These people that are going to do the vast majority that are doing the OTC route are not in your offices. Now they're not poaching on patients you already have. These are new people. That's that, a great point. 
That That's a great point, Dr. Cabot. Now, do you think that, so you, you said earlier that, you know, just kind of like how reading glasses to prescription eyeglasses and how these people will uh, continue that journey into traditional instruments is the difference in cost. Number one is the difference in cost between OTC hearing aids and traditional instruments. Is that going, do we think that's going to affect the cost of traditional instruments? Are they going to come down? And are, is that difference in cost going to interrupt that continuation of a journey from that somebody who starts with OTC at a mild loss as their loss progresses, are they still going to continue and get the, the right help that they need with a more expensive traditional instrument? Or are they going to say, uh, maybe I'm good with what I've got? Are we going to continue to be a bundled delivery or are we going to rethink our care and delivery models? That's what I would ask because I think if we rethink what care delivery looks from us, from a, we, be, we become everything OTC isn't to the nth degree of the research evidence. We become everything they're not and we offer a patient-centric unbundled delivery where they can determine the kind of care they want to pay for, then you're going to narrow what that price is. Price is, Costco has brought the price down. Third-party administrators have brought the price down. I would tell all of y'all, the thing that I would fear way more than I would ever fear an OTC is a TPA or a network. That is the ultimate destruction of your independence and autonomy. OTC is an opportunity for you to bring a different class of product in to, to attract a different type of patient that you don't attract anyway. I want you all to be your own OTC folks. I want you to have laws and regulations that you can sell them OTC yourselves from your practices that no, that no state dispensing law or no manufacturer can stop you from being your own lively or being your own OTC Ergo or Lexi. I want you to do all of those things. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, like that. I, I yeah. totally see Dr. Cabot's point when she's talking about uh, bridging the gap um, here between OTC and in clinic. However, for Jonathan, uh, Harvard Health Publishing did state, um, quote unquote, instead of paying $5,000 for a pair of FDA approved hearing aids in follow up service, you could pay hundreds of dollars for an OTC hearing aid from any seller. No doctor appointments, no tests, or no fittings, unquote. If OTC hearing aids are properly regulated, would this not help more people take action to correct their hearing loss? I mean, and, and yes, and what Dr. Cabot was saying is I do agree, is it's going to make people a little bit more aware. To be honest, I, I feel as an industry um, in the past few years, we have kind of failed almost everybody in the sense of the lack of education, you know, and what Dr. Cabot's saying is this is going to introduce more people to, you know, whether it's OTC or hearing aids, our job from what our industry has done is to break these stereotypes of hearing aids. Okay. And that's one of the biggest things is, you know, in our field, we hear, oh, I don't want to get a hearing aid. It makes me look old, makes me feel old, whatever it might be even though they look older when they're simply not hearing at a proper level. Um, you know, and obviously what we were talking about also is, is you know, the, the cognitive issues, the potential fall issues and different things along those lines. 
Um, you know, and, and getting back to what, what Harvard said, I mean, you know, it's an all a valid point there, but, but I would love to see basically on all ends more education on the importances. I mean, obviously we look at the Johns Hopkins study of, of, uh, or different studies that they've had come out. That's pretty recent. When you look how long hearing aids and hearing treatment and audiologists and all this have been around, that is still quite new because that was 2005 that Johns Hopkins put out these different studies. It's only 2021. Anything prior to that was basically just, uh, you know, a hunch or a suspicion or, hey, I think this could be linked. Well, and Jonathan, so, Jonathan, I, I got to interject and ask the question because, you know, uh, I, I, where I would have a concern, we talked about bundling and the price. And where I would have a concern um, from a clinical perspective is the reason that the hearing industry for a long time has bundled price is because they have concerns that patients wouldn't come in and get their aftercare services unless that price was bundled into the initial cost. Yeah. So from that is not born fruit. I've been unbundling has been something I've been talking about. I was unbundled. It's been something I've been talking about forever. They come in. It's all about how you socialize that whole thing and how you discuss it. They have the option of buying, of purchasing a bundled delivery if they want. They also have the purchase of pay, of purchasing pay as they go for service. And I will tell you from personal experience, they will come in when they need to come in. (laughs) That's what happens. And that, they and then at any point in time they can change their mind and purchase a service package but they get to control that delivery and can i i don't want to mean to interject but i want to i know this isn't my show but i want to ask you you three a question because you guys actually all seem cool and open-minded and everything i don't like how we have as providers have been painted as that we are the 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 majority of the cost of the product and that we are overpriced. I don't like that part at all because in reality, we are not always, if you're unbundled, if you're truly unbundled, the, the, the product is the primary part of the price. It really is the truth. It's about our pricing and delivery. And would you got, how does that how does that 5000 when you see that what does what does that elicit in you when you see that talked about what's your thoughts jonathan what's your thoughts when you see that that price talked about what does that elicit in you well i mean and to me and and one thing that i've always been taught is is i am big on patient care and i know any team member that i've had under me is extremely big on patient care The reason I like to have everything bundled is I will never, ever, ever have the mentality of just call me if there's a problem. Okay. When you maintain these services, you are also maintaining the relationship. You're maintaining word of mouth to help support it. If somebody has a poor experience with the hearing system, maybe simply because they did not go into the office as often as they should, that can help deter somebody else from getting the help. And what I mean is we've all heard people, oh, my neighbor has hearing aids and they just sit in the drawer because they stopped working after four months. Well, there's a good chance the instrument stopped working after four months. 
simply because you've got a cerumen buildup in there, something that could be easily managed within an office. I tell my patients, I want to see you every three months regardless. It's not only about hearing health, but it's also about maintaining that relationship and spreading a positive word for our industry as a whole. Our industry has a lot of kickback as it is anyway. I mean, technically, nobody wants a hearing aid. There's not one person in this world that says, oh my gosh, I want that. I want something because my hearing is failing. I don't want that to snowball down the road where somebody else might not be getting the benefit that they truly need and deserve to help with potential balance issues, cognitive issues, or even just social interactions and mainly quality of life. Jonathan, you make a good point there. Dr. Cavett, uh, what would you say to the conversation that Jonathan just had about the value of that service? I had 73% retention in my practice and I was unbundled. <laughs> it's really about empowering the patient to own their hearing loss and their journey. It's really about having them. I used to tell my patients that they're, their, they're the captain of their hearing journey and I'm just merely the navigator. I just am here to help them on their journey. And I have many, many, many unbundled clients and colleagues all over the country in lots of different settings. And I would tell you that patient retention is a non-issue because patients really like the trust and transparency that unbundling affords them. They know what they're paying for. And it's all about a really educating them to empower their own to empower their own hearing loss they own it we're not making them come in every three months we're letting them draw captain their journey and giving them the tools in order to do that and i it, it's the way to combat this whole we're five thousand dollar price thing because you can better to me, the best way to compete against an OTC or a big box retailer or even a third party administrator is unbundling. <laughs> it is the way to be much, much more competitive. And it's a way to combat the HIA nonsense that we are two thirds of the cost of a hearing aid. What a great conversation that we all need to hear, Chuck. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's. I think there's a lot of merit to both sides of that, right? Oh, I agree. I yeah. agree. Yes. And, and I think that it's a lot of value to our audience, right? Because we're, we're here to develop everybody across this industry, right? And whether From, you like it or not, it's coming. OTC oh, yeah. It's coming. So how do you navigate and how do you deal with it? I think Jonathan Bushman, uh, nationally board certified hearing and specialist, 17 years, and Dr. Cabot audiologists 30 years have got some great insights on how we navigate this process and the transition between bundle to unbundle OTC hearing aids that are coming and the transition that we're needing to make in the practice because again it's not going away. Right and just like anything else I think we've learned that there's no one way to do it Correct. right there, there are options between bundling and unbundling the, the key is I think that we all need to come together as an industry to work on best practices across the board and continue to 
elevate the way we take care of patients. Yeah, right. Sure and I think OTC is number one. Yeah. OTC, yeah. I think is going to help with that. I hope to see a reflection just like it did with uh, the optical industry. Um, because at the end of the day, we're here to help people hear better. Right. And, and aid in their communication difficulties. So that's the end. That's the end goal of this industry. Right. Thank you guys very much for Thank being you here so today. Much. We really appreciate it. And for those in the audience that have been following our journey, we really appreciate it. You can always go to AmplifiedHearing.com and sign up to receive email notifications of future shows that are coming up um, and different things that we have going on and tools and resources to help you on your journey from pre and post licensure all the way to running your own practice. Yeah. And that's, you know, we're going to continue to move and produce a lot of content for people across the industry at various points throughout your career to help everybody continue to elevate the way we take care of patients, right? Um, again, don't forget, if you're gonna be at the IHS convention next week, uh, I'll be in a booth over by the silent auctions, come say hi, uh, I'd love to talk to you, bring some ideas that you'd like to see us talk about here on the show, also with our Facebook group but for Amplified Hearing. Make comments there if you can't be at the convention, right? Tell us the kind of things that you want to hear about that are going to help you succeed in your everyday practice. Because we know we're all better together. So if you got value out of the show, we appreciate a good share. Um, sharing with other people in the industry, sharing with people who potentially would like to be in the industry. Um, if, you, if you know somebody that's thinking about getting into the hearing practice,